0: or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey with Sparking Wholeness, and today we are going to be speaking to two of my favorite past guests together at the same time. We are here with Dr. Sandy Gluckman and I will give a brief background on her if you don't remember her episodes. She has two fabulous episodes on the podcast. She is a speaker. She's an author. She's a child behavior specialist and her practice is called Parenting That Heals. So Dr. Sandy, thank you so much for being on the show again.
1: Thank you for inviting us.
0: We're excited to have you on. And I'm also sitting here with Dr. Alina Oltianu. She is the founder and director of Whole Child Texas. She's an integrative pediatrician. She's brilliant. And she is uh, also right now co-author of the recipe ebook that we created together. So that's really exciting. And she's been on two episodes. So I figured the third one, we can bring them together. And I've got to tell you, well, first of all, Dr. Alina, thank you so much for being on.
2: Thank you so much, Erin, for inviting me again. This has been,
0: it's been so good to have both of you on the show. And as much as I like having both of you on individually, I know how well you work together and that you really do paint a full picture of whole body healing for children and for parents as well. So that's why, you know, we've got a lot going on right now. Back to school has been happening at this point. And we've got kids who are in virtual school. We have kids that are doing school in person with some restrictions setting in. And I know that that's really anxiety inducing for a lot of parents. It's anxiety inducing for a lot of kids. And after that, you know, early school year rush and the adrenaline rush dissipates, we've got this back to school fatigue now. And so I wanted to sit down and talk to these two absolutely amazing experts (laughs) about what this means for us as parents and for our kids. So let's start with just kind of some of the basics. So Dr. Alina, I'll start with you. Let's just talk about kids' health in general right now, because we're hearing a lot of different things. And I want to know from somebody who is out there in the field what is going on with kids these days what's going around what are we seeing health wise and are we seeing a decrease in viruses now that everybody is so conscious about protection and washing hands what are you seeing in the day-to-day
2: one of the main thing i'm seeing is actually anxiety anxiety, sleep difficulties, a lot of um, emotional issues from children so I think it's been now almost six months since um, the pandemic starting it started and we're starting to see the side effects of the lockdown of the social isolation and um, of the prolonged stress that children perceive stress in a different ways than we do, but they're not immune to stress. And one point I want to make is that parents sometimes feel that they can hide their stress by putting up a a smile or a happy face. But children have a sixth sense of picking up parental stress and acting it out. They may not have the language to express it, But they're acting it through sleep difficulties, um, anger, irritability, uh, being more emotional, crying more, being worried about everything, just showing (coughs) symptoms of anxiety. So that's one of the main concern that I have. The second concern that I have is excessive screen time. Um, I, um, I used to counsel parents before the pandemic that children should not have more than two hours of screen time per day and now that they're going back to school mainly online um, they have at least three to six hours sometimes even more of screen time per day so later on I would like to talk a little bit about what the antidote to this excessive screen time is and um, in terms of your questions about uh, viruses, um, I still see viruses. And parents are asking me, where did they get it from? We haven't been anywhere. We've been on walks in the evenings. We have our little quarantine pods with few neighbors' kids. But viruses are ubiquitous. That, that means they're everywhere. We can't avoid them Uh, we can live in a bubble so kids um, immune system is not as strong as adults so they're still showing symptoms of different viruses so the the typical um, summer viruses cause vomiting, diarrhea. So I see a lot of that these days. They do cause some um, rashes, uh, mouth ulcers. So I'm seeing some, some of those. And it's um, every age. I am um, And of course, as a pediatrician, I'm really on high alert about um, COVID symptoms, and I tested a lot of them, and fortunately, I haven't seen that many positives. So it's the good old viruses, they're still still going around, and it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. That's how kids build up immunity in the long run.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you mentioned that is not what I expected at all. I will say that. But I'm really glad you mentioned anxiety because I did read a statistic from the CDC just in June, they reported that and this is people aged 18 to I think 31, 25% of people in that age range, or maybe it was 18 to 25. Don't quote me on this. (laughs) I'll find the link and put it in the show notes. Uh, But they had seriously considered suicide in June and since the pandemic started. And I think that if that's the case for, and then it kind of, those numbers dropped as we got older, but if that's the case for 18 and up, 18 is still a child, you know, the brain is still developing at 18. And so I think about the kids younger, it absolutely makes sense that, Mm -hmm. that this is impacting them in that way. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because we already have an epidemic of anxiety in children. And so, um, yes. So, and viruses, alive and well, going strong. That's also important to mention. (laughs) Um, And Dr. Sandy, so let's talk about the screen time a little bit, because I know that this is something that you really are passionate about talking about. And we know, I mean, I just know from my adult friends and even my husband, he has been working virtually since March and how being on a screen all day long is disrupting mental health and sleep and all sorts of it's just it gives you kind of a fatigue and an exhaustion that you're not used to. And so I wonder if maybe you could speak to if that's happening for adults, right? What is this excessive screen time doing for our kids and for a developing brain?
1: Yes, wow, that's such an important question. So um, what happens with um, excessive screen time is that it actually does the very thing we don't want, and that is it increases our stress hormones. So when we're on on, uh, screens for too long, where our stress hormones are um, uh, being secreted more and more and more, and it throws us into... Um, a state which we call fight, flight, or freeze. So um, because there's an inflammation in the brain that comes from being stressed. And so what happens is that as parents, we actually are um, in fight mode. So we yell at the kids, we're we're frustrated, we're irritated, we're easily annoyed, um, and we're having arguments with the children. Excuse me. And um, of course, some parents are in flight and that is that they're, they're worried, they're anxious, they're depressed, they go inwards, or maybe they're even in freeze where they are just so lost and don't have a clue how to handle this, but just walking around with a lot of anxiety. And so what we know is that when a parent is um, overstressed and in flat, flight or freeze, the child will be in exactly the same situation. So we have the children who are now walking around with increased stress hormones, increased inflammation in the brain, and in fight, flight, and freeze. And now we have um, moms and dads and children all fighting with each other, um, a lot of conflict, a lot of arguments, and certainly not a great deal of harmony. The um, The other thing you asked me is what is the effect on the developing brain, and you know, what happens is that when we are overstressed and um, we have an inflamed brain, it uh, upsets our neurochemistry. And when we are watching screens all the time, um, we are secreting a great deal of dopamine and this then um, stimulates the pleasure centers. So what happens is, of course, the, um, the developers of, of the games and all the technology that children are watching they've done their homework really well because they've done lots of tests to explore what amount of dopamine and adrenaline do they have to um, stimulate in order to get the child to watch more and more and more. And as the child is watching more and getting the stimulus from the dopamine and the pleasure centers, what eventually happens over a period of time is that they need more dopamine and more stimulation to get the same high, to get the same rush. And so they watch for longer periods of time in order to get the same rush. And then what happens is that they become so addicted to this so-called pleasure, is that nothing else can even compete. Nothing else gives them the same degree of pleasure. So they don't want to go for a walk with a dog because it's not the same high; It doesn't give them the same rush. They don't want to visit granny and grandpa because it's boring. And um, they just begin to withdraw from life a great deal. And um, there's a, a, a way that Dr. Cardassus puts it, which I liked. He said they eventually become bored and boring and they are uninterested and uninteresting so um, it certainly is a serious problem and then there's one other issue that is truly scary and that is that when we are stressed when children or adults are stressed our prefrontal cortex is offline it switches off and so the very thing we want our children to do with regard to screen addiction which is to self-regulate is the thing that they're incapable of doing truly not capable because the prefrontal cortex is the part that Controls our impulse control, our um, um, our understanding of consequences, our ability to make good choices. It's the executive of the brain, and it's not functioning. And so it stunts um, excessive um, um, screens stunt the functioning of the prefrontal cortex. Even affects the the um, reduces the grey matter in this area. And now we have children who just cannot make some good decisions or good choices. And, um, this, this is uh, a worrisome aspect.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. You said so many things there that I am just resonating with because I'm reading a book on this right now. Cause I really do want to understand the the dopamine connection and you know, the, um, even the connection with, with the fear brain amygdala, I guess would be, is that considered where mm-hmm. we're, getting these fear responses as well as the prefrontal cortex, because I think if people can understand that we can also understand how we're responding to each other in these times and we are all so stressed and I see it happening with adults. I see it with these heated comments on social media and it just breaks my heart. And it reminds me that like kids, right? It's really hard to empathize. It's really hard to make good decisions, when we are not using our prefrontal cortex, because we are in fight or or flight, or freeze from all of the stress that's cascading through our bodies. And you said something else that I want to make sure that is emphasized is that uh, screens increase the stress hormones. It also increases dopamine. And my understanding is that dopamine kind of is the fuel for our the stress center of our brain. Is that right? So like for the, it's for the pleasure center for the ple- pleasure center. Right. But, it, but it contributes to that stressed out state also yes, to where it's yes. like just this never ending cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I'm really trying to understand this because it's just so eye opening. I wish everybody understood this. Um, I, I love the way that you explained that. And so if it's happening in adults, it's happening in kids. And what do you think? I mean, just what, what do you think would be the long-term effects of, of a generation raised on excessive screens and this kind of dopamine
1: dysregulation? Well, um, do you want to take it and then I'll jump back on
2: again? Yes, I'm actually really worried as a, as a pediatrician about the long-term effects of excessive screen time. And I think it fuels the epidemic of anxiety, of um, ADHD symptoms, things that we label this way. But what it actually does, it decreases the children's capacity to self-regulate, which is a learned skill anyway. And um, we're seeing a generation of kids that are more sensitive, they're more sensitive chemically, they're more sensitive um, emotionally. So they're more likely to react to different triggers and stressors. And I think this excessive screen time only adds that. Um, So children are just conditioned to, as Dr. Sandy said, to want more and more and more of the screen time. And when you try to take it away, they're really panicking. I'm getting this big eyes and scared look in my exam rooms when I counsel them on limiting screen time. And uh, I, I finally get their attention. I was like, oh, you know, it, it, I'm probably background noise until I mention screen time, <laughs> but when I mention screen time, I can see those big eyes, and uh, they they all have their cell phones attached to them, which. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's normal uh, to, to be attached to an object. So one thing that mm-hmm. I try to tell them is that it's technology that you have to be in charge of technology and not let technology be in charge of you. But it's very hard to drive that message home with children that are so attached to their, to their uh, screens and to, to this kind of technology. Another thing that I'm noticing is, again as Dr. Sandy mentioned is that they're not interested in anything else. They are missing out on life so much and they're missing on opportunities for learning and developing that are not coming from a screen.
1: Yes, so there is a lot of research that supports what Dr. Lena said, <clears throat> that is that um, um, increased um, screen, oh, excessive screen watching with the um, the high levels of cortisol and the high levels of inflammation in the brain actually um, research has shown that that increases the chance of getting adhd or, or i don't believe you get adhd but of becoming uh, showing symptoms of adhd and also symptoms of anxiety but there's also another issue and that is because they have now experienced this very very high level of um, of dopamine and the um, excitement that comes with it and they, which means they're addicted, excuse me, (coughs) which means that they're addicted. They are more prone to possibly being addicted to drugs Mm -hmm. um, and gambling and sex um, as they grow older because they're looking for the same highs because they don't experience life on a normal level. You know, I was actually, that's funny. I was about to ask you, either one of you,
0: I thought about that because I wonder what is the connection between this excessive screen time and also excessive sugar consumption and excessive processed food consumption. And maybe Dr. Alina, you could speak to that because I think that these kind of go hand in hand. Because even as, as Dr. Sandy was explaining the way dopamine works, how you just can't get enough. It reminds me a little bit of, of insulin resistance, right? How, like eventually your body's just pushing out this insulin, pushing it out. And your body's like, no, no more. So I don't know. I mean, that's, but I do think our, when our system's dysregulated mm-hmm. in one way, it's probably dysregulated in a lot of ways. And so how do you think that factors into even how our kids eat?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think there's so many side effects to excessive screen time. One is just unhealthy eating, this constant snacking, for example, in front of um, a screen, Uh, mindless eating. Um, We as a society, we don't really pay attention or take the time to eat (laughs) uh, mindfully. And I think eating in front of a screen, if it's a TV or an iPhone or iPad, is even worse. And um, even beyond that, I'm seeing so many um, physical symptoms from excessive screen time. One thing that I've noticed this summer with kids coming for their sports physicals is really bad posture, increased scoliosis, they're losing their cervical spine curvature because they spend their time looking down mm-hmm. on their, to their screens, uh, lots of neck pain, headaches, um, lots of vision problems I do think that um, several times of um, several hours of screen can be good for um, for their vision so there's so many physical emotional um, side effects from excessive screen time that that the list just goes goes on and on
0: yeah it really does so for both of you then I would ask this question um, because there are parents that, this is just the way life is right now, is their kids have to be in, in front of a screen for hours at a time, depending on their ages. Um, and I, you know, my heart goes out to teachers. I know teachers are working harder than they ever have before. And teachers have always worked tirelessly and thanklessly. But right now, uh, virtual learning is, is just fatiguing, exhausting for all of us, for teachers, for parents, for students. So what would you say, what's a great antidote? What can we do about this issue? And um, I don't know which one of you want, Dr. Sandy, do you want to answer that first?
1: Okay, thank you. So um, for me, there is, uh, I think we need to actually understand that we need to go back to the source of the problem. Because the, the, what we're seeing with screen addiction is a symptom, it is not the problem, It is a result of something that has not been identified, recognized, and dealt with. And that is the fact that children who become addicted to screens are those who are much more vulnerable for this kind of addiction because they have a deep inner sense of I am not enough. I don't feel good about me. I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. And I believe that I'm just not good enough. And that is a very painful belief to have inside. And so interestingly enough, <clears throat> what that belief does is it causes a lot of inner stress. So once again, we're back to the issue of heightened stress, toxic levels of stress. But the other thing is that, um, you know, walking around with this sense of um, not having a great deal of self-worth is so It's just so painful. I know, I've been there as a kid, so I know what it's like. And um, so we want to do anything we can to not feel it. And so really for me, the screen addiction is a sense of self-medication. I'm self-medicating because it takes my mind off the sense, a feeling I have about myself, which is not a good one, and my sense of self-worth, which is not good. And so if for me, the antidote, And I know this is uh, tough because parents want the solution. Tell me what I must say. Tell me what I must do. What kind of words do I use? Um, What is the best strategy? What are the best kind of um, ways of of putting up uh, barriers and controls? But that's from the outside in. And it's not going to work until we sort out why the child is hurting from the inside out. And the deepest pain is the pain of feeling I'm not enough. And so parents really do need to learn how to rewire this very critical core belief of children that they're not enough to the point where they believe and feel that they are so enough and they don't need to um, go into flight or freeze and freeze in front of a computer in order to self-medicate.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. That is so true. And I think it's true for adults as well, because <laughs> we have been on our screens more than ever before, I think, too, during this time. True. So, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. Dr. Alina, how would you answer that?
2: So, frequent breaks if uh, children have to do online learning um, i do encourage teachers and parents to allow them to take frequent breaks and um, alternate live learning with um, offline learning Um, kids need to touch books they need to touch a pen they they need to read paper books Um, and then the number two which maybe actually number one, uh, in terms of importance is to spend time in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, so get kids outside at least one or two hours a day, get them to get their heart rate up to sweat a little bit, which is not hard in Texas at (laughs) degrees, (laughs) but, uh, try to find ways either early in the morning or late in the evening if it's too hot, um, Anywhere swimming, it doesn't have to be any kind of competitive or organized sports, but kids have to move preferably outdoors as much as possible. Nature is very healing for everyone, but especially for um, developing brains. Yes. And as I was just
0: reading, nature is anti-inflammatory, right? Yes. I was so excited to find that out. I mean, it makes sense intuitively. Like we know that we feel better and more relaxed Mm -hmm. and less stressed because stress is inflammatory, but nature truly is anti-inflammatory. And there are, there are actual studies about this.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And what I, I really loved reading the studies that gardening actually helps decrease um, depression because of um, diversifying the microbiome. So I Mm. like kids, to be with their herd, with their hands in um, in dirt, and teach them about gardening. It's never too early to start. I love that.
0: I need to, yeah, that would be a fun project and that would be a great suggestion for everybody. Start a project of gardening with your kids. I tried, you know, planting some herbs last summer and they died and it probably could be because it is ridiculously hot in Texas, but you know, mm-hmm. we, we yes. gave it a good try, yes. <laughs> but playing in dirt for sure. Yes. I think that that's really mm-hmm. helpful. That's good. Um. Yeah. So how, you know, Dr. Sandy, I know you've spoken a little bit to this before, but I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into this back to school fatigue that maybe some of us are facing right now. How could that be contagious that when parents, parents experience fatigue, it might be contagious for
1: the child yes. as well. Yes. Yes. Um, it is, it's highly contagious. So really what's going on, I've kind of alluded it, to it um, in the beginning where I said, if a parent is in fight, flight, or freeze, the child will be in fight, flight, or freeze. And it's an, an, an amazing science which was founded and developed by Dr. Daniel Siegel, which he calls interpersonal neurobiology. In other words, what's going on inside of me as a mommy <clears throat> will be happening exactly inside of my child. So that's the contagious aspect. The child absorbs our chemistry and through mirror neurons and then it becomes their chemistry and then we ask them to behave differently but they cannot not until we behave differently so if we want our children to be calm we need to be calm if we want our children to self-regulate we need to self-regulate if we want them to be filled with joy and excitement and be creative we need to be like that because It is much deeper than just being a role model. We talk about we are our children's role models. Of course, we are. Um, But it's much more deep than that in terms of the neuroscience of what chemistry is going on inside of me and how I show up through that will will be uh, absorbed by the child. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that reminder. It's so true. And I see it in my own kids all the time. We went on vacation and we had, we were very intentional about, you know, putting our phones away and not using electronics on the trip. We came home and it was back to work and our kids started acting crazy. And it's like, why are they so moody? I just, I just don't understand. (laughs) And yeah, it's, it's this, it's interpersonal neurobiology. They were picking up on our stress getting home and having to get things done. And we came from a very relaxed place in nature (laughs) to being at home, needing to be on screens. So I see it and I know people who are listening are probably going, Oh, I get that. I heard a friend recently say the other day when, um, She is PMSing her daughter who is under 10 (laughs) acts like she's PMSing as well. And I think that that's really interesting because her daughter doesn't even have a cycle, but she picks up on the way that mom is feeling hormonally. And I, Mm. so I think that that's really important. I think parents, if you tune in, you will see this because the more I hear Dr. Sandy and Dr. Alina talk about this, the more I pick it up and I'm like, Mm. okay, it's very important how I manage my own stress. So Dr. Alina, I would, I would ask you as leading into that, I know you are a big fan of meditation. And mm-hmm. so what does that do for our mental state and our brain health? Does that help with this prefrontal cortex um, concern that, or that, that we need to activate? What would you say to that for moms and for kids? Yes,
2: yes. meditation is the perfect antidote to stress. And you don't have to be a monk or in a monastery to meditate. It's uh, even two, three minutes a day, once or twice a day, can rewire the brain in a way that um, increases our prefrontal cortex. So it activates the part of the brain that is involved in higher executing functions. And it decreases the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that makes us react um, in survival mode, in a fight or flight or freeze as a response to stress. So kids as young as five or six years old can learn how to meditate, but the parents have to meditate with them. So we can't ask children to learn how to meditate if we as adults don't have a meditation practice. And it can be something as simple as paying attention to our breath. So one thing that I want to teach parents right now is just to take three conscious breaths. Um, As soon as you open your eyes, before you check your emails or before you um, reach out for your phone, just take three deep breaths and pay attention to those breaths. And another little trick that you can do is to set your alarm twice a day and uh, take three deep breaths breaths when the alarm rings so that brings you back to the present moment it brings you back to yourself and it gives your brain a break from all the stressful triggers that are everywhere around us yes and um, it's like working out it takes time to build your meditation muscles, but uh, daily practice can rewire the brain and make it it less reactive to stress. So the same stressor doesn't trigger the neurochemistry of stress. So we can control the stressor. The pandemic, the virus, financial stress, school stress, it's gonna be here for a while but we can train ourselves to be less reactive to it, no matter what's going on around us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really important to note. It's also important to note that, and and maybe Dr. Sandy, this would be a question for you, just as as we can change our brain to work in this positive reaction or train our brains to work in in a positive way, to react positively against stress. Do you believe that, that, negative responses are addictive in a sense, or maybe not necessarily addictive, but is is that habitual? And is our brain so used to that that, I don't know, maybe you could talk about that a little bit, Dr. Sandy, Uh,
1: make my question clear. (laughs) I think so. If I'm going in the wrong direction, you can stop me. Okay. Okay. Um, Yes. Um, You know, we talk about neuroplasticity. So what we've discovered, again, due to the wonderful Dr. Daniel Siegel, is that the brain is much more plastic and malleable than we ever thought. So um, we can um, train the brain to think differently. We can rewire a belief of I'm not enough to I am so enough. Um, And the thing about our thoughts are, um, well, I'm kind of going all over the place, but bear with me. So the thing about our thoughts is that it really starts with a belief. And if we have a negative belief, we're going to have a negative thought. The negative thought is then going to stimulate a negative feeling. The negative feeling then creates the kind of behavior that we show up with, and then we get a negative result. And so that can become, in a sense, um, a, a neural wiring for us. It's uh, somewhere we just go to, we default into this, this whole thing. And because the brain is so plastic, um, the more we do it, the deeper that gets. And the more we will default into that kind of thinking. So we do need to learn to um, think differently. And uh, that will lead to a whole lot of different kind of um, positive outcomes. And meditation is a beautiful way to do that because actually if you think about it, we are energetic vibrational beings. And meditation takes us to a beautiful state which we talk about the alpha state, which is a whole positive, joyful, calm, um, energetic vibration. And meditation is the vehicle for us to be able to experience it and then we come back and as Dr. Lena said, well, the same problem looks different to us and we respond so differently to it. And we don't default into that negative thinking pattern that you spoke about.
2: I also think that evolutionary as human beings, our brain has a negativity bias for survival.
0: Yeah.
2: We are trained um, to look for danger so that we can survive. So that's why we're always initially looking for what can go wrong or what's negative in in a situation, what's the worst case scenario so that we can prepare. But that creates a lot of um, a lot of negative um, a lot of negative neurochemistry, the neurochemistry of stress. So the trick is to train ourselves to be mindful of our thoughts and not believe our thoughts. I tell my patients a lot: patients with anxiety don't believe everything your brain is telling you. Um, and what's really interesting, on a side note, that. A lot of children with anxiety are actually gifted children, very, very smart children, um, intellectually very advanced for their age. And I think their brains are looking for danger. They're looking for worst case scenarios. So most of the time we are not in a deadly situation. So we can rewire our brain to recalibrate quickly. Yes, this could go wrong, but ninety percent of the time, it can actually be resolved or get better, and that's what meditation and mindfulness is about: to be constantly present, to assess the situation, to to its um, to the reality, which is not always life threatening.
0: Yeah, that's good. We're not running from tigers anymore, right?
1: Yes, <laughs> <So>. right. <laughs> and, and listening to Dr. Lena also prompted me to say, uh, and, and you and I have done a, um, a podcast on this, Erin, and that is that very often these children, well, I wouldn't say very often, I'd say always, these children who are anxious and who are screen addicted are also a very sensitive nature children. Mm-hmm. They yeah. have a sensitive temperament. And um, it's because of the sensitive temperament that they have interpreted a lot of events in their lives as uh, or things that their parents have said as, um, I'm not good enough. So we have to be aware that we're dealing with very sensitive children, which for me, I think can be an incredible gift, um, but uh, can be a burden and can go the, the mm. wrong way. And, and one quick note that, you know,
0: we're getting short on time, but something I recently remembered just from my adolescent psychology class in college. I mean, like this is from way, way back. It popped up as we're talking about the virus and a lot of kids are, are hearing about the virus and our kids are egocentric. You know, the young children are very egocentric. They, everything is about them. And I do get concerned that an abstract concept of a virus that they can't see or touch or feel or really understand they are going to internalize that and make it about them and make it somehow that maybe oh they are bad or dirty or carrying something you know i do think that it's important to be sensitive with children when we speak about that because They are living in this egocentric world. Is that how, how can we, I mean, this is not on our list of questions. I'm going in a totally different direction, but I'd love to know from both of you, is there a way that we can talk about things that's better for these young developing brains? I'm I'm hearing one of them uh, playing
2: and laughing outside the door here, but (laughs) No, that's a, that's a good question. That's a really, really good question. And it comes down on how the parents react. So if the child is scared about what a friend might have said or what they have picked up on the news, it's really depends on the parents, um, how they react to it, how they feel about it. And one example is the masks. Um, I haven't seen that much anxiety and controversy about masks, about any other health topic recently. So, you know, if we have to wear masks for a while, I think it helps for parents to have um, less reactive state of mind to it because children are picking up on it. If they hear the masks are dangerous, they may, carry germs or they may um, interfere with breathing, children are going to pick up on that. But if the parents are trying to be reassuring to a certain extent or at least neutral to it, it will change the child's um, neurochemistry.
1: Yeah. Yes, I, I totally agree. I think that um, your point about children being egocentric is such a very Brilliant one. I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, Because they are, they turn everything, uh, make everything about themselves, which is why they come to the conclusion that I'm not good enough um, so easily. So we have to be aware that um, what every, even a look on our face as we're putting the mask on, or um, the words we use, our body language, our tone of voice, everything is so important to these children. And particularly when children are sensitive and already anxious from before, um, and with uh, children who have OCD as a form of anxiety, this this virus can be uh, so hard for them to handle. Mm. So we need to be sensitive about that. Yeah,
0: and then what we say they listen, they internalize. And hmm. that's, that's such a good reminder. Yeah. And, and the point about being neutral, <laughs> I think is, is good. Yes. Um, I'll leave my complaining to my husband. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, thank you guys so much. This was so good. I, I do. I'll ask one quick question. If you could just say one thing that parents can do, and i you probably already said it, I can think of a few that you've said, but one important thing that parents can do to best support their children on a whole body level right now, what would you say?
2: What comes to mind for me is for parents, especially for moms, to be kind to themselves, not to be critical, not to have um, superhuman expectations, because that increases maternal stress And that increases children's stress and stress affects every, everything, mind, body, spirit. That's good. Yes. I have to
1: totally support that. Um, (laughs) You actually actually stole mine, but anyway. (laughs) And the other thing I would say is for parents to become aware that you cannot give your children anything that you do not yourself have. And so, it's time for parents to reflect on um, how am I showing up? Because the way in which I show up will have a huge impact on my child. Absolutely. And I do want to say, if I can here, yeah, Erin, yeah. that um, Dr. Lynn and I have actually created a program, which we call yeah. the Seven Ways to Reverse and Prevent Screen Addiction. And that is on, is it
0: on both of your websites? Because I can definitely make sure I link that.
1: Yes, it's on both of our websites. um, And um, it's a very instructive and practical program. Yeah,
0: that's good. So Dr. Sandy's website is drsandygluckman.com, and that's D R S A N D Y G L U C K M A N.com. And Dr. Alina's website is wholechildtexas.com, and that's W H O L E dot com, So you can access those resources there. And I think they've got a ton of resources and they're always, I mean, I hope you guys got a picture of how they work so well together. And it really does paint a picture of whole child health for our kids who need everything. They, they need a little bit of everything, you know, they need that whole mind, body, spirit going on in their lives, just like, just like we all do. And so thank you again for being on. And I just, I'm, I'm loving everything that you said. So thank you so much for being willing to take the time and be on the show. Thank,
1: thank you. you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to sparking wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.